Jesus. We don't understand who he is. Last week we taught you that Jesus is God and he said it unashamedly. He said it without blinking. And so that was a really good. And today we're going to do a thing. And this is going to take me a couple weeks to break this down because it's very important. <clears throat> Next slide. Everybody say it with me. Jesus, Jesus. is the Christ. Christ. Say, what does that mean? Well, here's a story for you. We're here to break down all religious barriers. Okay. Jesus doesn't like religion. He likes relationship. His harshest things were spoken to religious critics. His harshest things were spoken to those who put up barriers for people to come to God and for people to worship God. His harshest criticisms were people who thought they were self-righteous. They felt that they were self-justified and they lived from a position of which they thought they were self-justified. Here's a story that would have probably, that is very crazy. Jesus takes his disciples to a region called Caesarea Philippi. What's the big deal with Caesarea Philippi? Well, I teach this a lot to try to blow out the, the, the idea that, uh, you know, we think, oh, well, Christians shouldn't go to those places and Christians shouldn't do those things and Christians shouldn't associate with those people. And Elevate is an interesting church because um, a lot of you don't come from that type of cultural background, which is wonderful, which means you get it all fresh and you get all of the foundational teachings in a really beautiful way. But a lot of times Christians are taught in these cultural manners and we're, called, we're, we're taught this exclusionism and we're taught this where we stand at a distance and we are not want to touch the world or be in any of these places. Well, there's nothing wrong with being in specific places if God has called you to be in that place and if you're there to bring the kingdom. Jesus brings his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. It's the height of worship of a god called Pan. Those of you who have ever studied world religion or world philosophy, you'll be familiar with this word pantheon, which means a bunch of gods. Well, Pan is the chief of the bunch of gods. And so Jesus takes his disciples to the height of this place of worship of the god Pan. In other words, the height of all humanistic worship. The gods, you know, was in this grove. They had a big wall where they carved holes in the wall, put their gods in there. And every god you can possibly imagine was in this wall, in this big arcway that was they cut out of rock. There was the gods of human intellect, there was gods of pleasure, there was gods of money, there was gods of weather, there was gods of everything. And Jesus says, in the midst of all of these gods, who am I? And they said, some say you're John the Baptist, because John at that time had been killed. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? And what does Peter say? Peter says, well, your name's Jesus, and you come from Bethlehem. Is that what he said? He said, no, you are what? The Christ, the son of the living God. What is this idea of Christ? The idea of Christ, it's the, it's the Greek word. It means to be anointed. It's the Hebrew word Messiah, but it means the same thing. The word anointed means to be empowered. The word anointed means to bear fragrance. So that means an aroma of another world. So who is Jesus? The one who was empowered from another world. Who is Jesus, the one who bears the fragrance and the aroma of another world? Jesus is the Christ. In our world and in our churches and in our culture and in the globe today, we have two Jesuses. You say, no, Kevin, there's one Jesus. No, we have two. We have Jesus the religious and we have Jesus the Christ. And who Jesus the religious is to most American and cultural Christians and most of Western Christianity, we like Jesus the religious. 
Because Jesus the religious fits into our nice, safe compartments and we can compartmentalize Jesus the religious and we can fit our lives into these, all of these compartments. But who Jesus the Christ is, Jesus the Christ is invasive. He wants everything. He doesn't want part of you. He wants all of you. He's not content with you showing up and going through the motions. Jesus said, I want all of you. I want all of you. If anyone who loves their mother, father, sister, brother, uncle, aunts, cars, boats, car, uh, jobs, careers, uh, uh, schools more than me, what does he say? You're not worthy of me. That's Jesus the Christ. Jesus the religious says, show up, do your little thing, go home and do whatever you want. That's Jesus the religious. And so we prefer Jesus the religious over Jesus the Christ. Jesus said, whoever sets their hand to the plow and following me and turns back is not worthy of me. That's Jesus the Christ. He's controversial. He's powerful. He's experiential. And he's confrontational. What does that mean? He calls you from your comfort and he calls you into adventure and he calls you into mystery. This is Jesus the Christ, not Jesus the religious. And so my question before we even begin is, which one have you been serving? Have you been serving Jesus the religious or have you been serving Jesus the Christ? And you say, well, I don't really understand Jesus the Christ. Well, I'm going to talk to you this morning about who Jesus the Christ is. This is the one whom, whom we are attracted to. This is the one with whom brings the kingdom with power. He calls you from comfort. He calls you into adventure. Jesus the Christ is not safe. They would have never crucified Jesus the religious, so you know. Jesus the religious is great. He fed homeless people. He was nice to uh, everyone. He went and actually did a hospitality ministry to lepers, you know. Jesus the religious, very nice, very safe, very comforting. You know, Jesus said, Jesus the Christ said, I've come to set a fire on the earth. Jesus the Christ confronted human patterns of thinking. Jesus the Christ confronted all of the religious structures of his day, all of the barriers that were set up to keep people from God, all of the rules and the regulations that prohibited the liberty of relationship that God had intended to establish. Jesus the Christ made a whip and drove the money changers out of the temple. That's Jesus the Christ. He doesn't fit our nice forms. And so what was this idea of Jesus the Christ? Is this, is this, this word anointing? What the heck does the word anointing mean? Well, let me just tell you. The, the, the idea of an anointing, the idea of the concept of anointing within the church is misunderstood. Either it's not understood at all, or it's misunderstood, or it's an abused subject. And how is it abused? Well, through misunderstanding, the anointing, the power, the movement of the spirit into the life of the believer, with a misunderstanding, we create a mindless emotionalism that seeks to do all things without reason, thinking that this shows great faith or spiritual power. So when we talk about anointing, which is the presence of the Lord and the power and the purpose of God coming upon the life of the believer, we have one form of expression, which is dominantly through emotionalism. Emotionalism without reason, without thought thinking that we, if we're just going to do things out of the spirit emotionally, that, that's what demonstrates spiritual power. That's what demonstrates great faith. That's a gross misunderstanding. The second one is that there is no anointing. You say, well, how do you know there is no anointing? Because of the things that are taught in which the churches teach these things. And so you cannot teach Jesus without teaching the anointing. You cannot. Because he is what? The he is the Christ. 
You cannot teach Jesus without teaching power. You cannot teach Jesus without teaching kingdom. If you do, you are not teaching Jesus. You are teaching a form and a function. In the last days, men will be lovers of God. Men will profess godliness, but what will they do? They will deny what? They will deny power. That's the mark of an end day church is those who profess godliness or profess Christ, but yet deny power. And so, you know, power is far and beyond and far and away more than just salvation. We like to, again, compartmentalize. And we think that when the Bible's talking about power, it's simply talking about salvation. That's not it at all. It's far and away but broader than that. And so we have an anointing in which those who actually say, oh, wow, I believe there's an anointing. Oftentimes, not always, but more often than not, it's expressed through an emotionalism that expresses itself and finds itself without reason. The second group elevates the mind beyond its rightful place. They create a gospel and a Jesus that is reduced simply to the levels of human understanding at best and absolutely powerless at worst. The second group lives in an illusion of a spiritual safety because they accept only what they can understand and they dismiss what they cannot. This is the state of the church today. We accept in the gospel only what we can understand and we dismiss what we cannot. If it doesn't fit within the mind of human reasoning, we don't accept it. If it doesn't fit within our own understanding, we don't accept it. We elevate, carnal, we elevate the carnal mind to an elite status. And in doing so, in elevating the carnal mind, in elevating the human intellect above the realm of the spirit, we become victims of a deception that we are seeking to avoid. What does that mean? The Bible says the carnal mind is an enmity against God. Your mind, if you're trying to understand spiritual things with your mind, the Bible tells you you cannot. I'll give you two verses. It tells you, first of all, your carnal mind is an enemy of God. So your carnal mind by nature is going to resist the very things of the spirit. And then it tells us in another place that the spiritual things are only understood spiritually. Spiritual things are spiritual, spiritually discerned. In other words, to understand and to commune in the spirit and to understand the things of the spirit, it takes the spirit to understand the spirit. You cannot discern the kingdom. You cannot discern the things of the anointing with the mind. Now, that is not to say we cannot understand it. But what we do is we elevate the mind over revelation. We elevate the mind over spiritual understanding. We, be, we profess ourselves to be wise. I'll give you another verse. And we become fools. We exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship the creation rather than the creator. We think we are the powerful ones. We think we're the ones that have the answer. And we deny the power of God simply because it doesn't line up with our own human understanding. Professing ourselves to be wise, we become fools. Okay? Got your attention? You're like, this is heavy. <laughs> Anytime you talk about Jesus, man, he's weight. He's glory. He's goodness. Here's the deal. Regardless of what you think about God, Regardless of what your perception is of God, every single one of us is called to be like Jesus. Would anybody debate that? And I will take it even further. Every single one of us is called to not just be like Jesus. We're called to be like Jesus the... Come on, Jesus the... That's right. We're not just called to be like Jesus. We're called to be like Jesus the Christ. Are we called Jesusites? Are we called Jesusins? We're called what? Christites, Christians. The word Christian was found in the Bible in the book of Acts. And it says the believers were first called Christians at Antioch. And what did it mean? They didn't call them people of Jesus. 
They called them people of the anointing. They called them people of power. They called them Christians because they reflected power. They didn't say these are people of doctrine. Wow, these guys really know their truth. These are Torahites. They really know the word. That's not what they were representing. That's not what they were reflecting. If you want to know what, the earth, what God intended for his church, you go back to first beginnings. What was the church to look like? The book of Acts. They didn't have it all figured out, but one of the things they did understand was they, they understood the endowment of power. They understood that. They understood their responsibility to not just receive that power, but to make it known. And so we are called Christians. Christites, that's the Greek word. Christ icons. The word icon, image, Christ anointed. These people are images of the anointing. They are images of the anointed one. They're not images of the religious Jesus. They're not images of the word of God. They're not images of social justice. They're not images of just really kind Mr. Rogers. They're not images of that. They're images of power. They're images of purpose. They're images of anointing. So whatever position you hold as a Christian, whatever your theology is about God, you must absolutely understand that you're called to be like Jesus. Nobody would deny that. But do you understand that we're to be like Jesus the Christ? I'm going to give you this. I'm going to give you a little theology here this morning. And this is important. Why is it important? Because you need to understand the world, the worldviews within the church today. There's a lot of worldviews. You say, well, don't all Christians believe the same? Not about the anointing. Not about the anointing. We do not. Don't all, don't all religions believe the same? Last week I told you, not about Jesus. Not about Jesus. Not all religions, they don't believe anything. The same thing about Jesus. Just like all Christians do not believe the same thing about the anointing. So we have the first group are called cessationists. And what does a cessationist position hold? The cessationist position basically says that all signs, all wonders, all miracles, all power have ceased. Except, of course, salvation. Well, that's the greatest miracle of all, right? So every other sign, every other wonder, every other power, every other purpose, every other kingdom dynamic has ceased except salvation. That's a cessationist doctrine. Cessationists oftentimes are the most aggressive when it comes to spiritual things. These are your bloggers. These are the ones who want to call all the works of the spirit demonic. These are the ones who want to, you know, just hold conferences and let everybody know that they actually they, they, they take it to such extremes they do worldwide conferences in order to bring people so that they can tell them that the spirit isn't alive anymore so you get to pay money for someone to go and teach you that the holy spirit isn't working anymore of course you're being saved and of course you're being sanctified but there's no power there's no provision there's no anointing there's no miracles that's your cessationists then we have another group called sovereignists. And they go, well, God can if he wants to. God can if he feels like it. God can if he's in a good mood. These are called sovereignists. And what's the point there? Well, the first group is a doctrine that is created to justify powerlessness. Because they cannot manifest the kingdom, because they try to understand things with their carnal mind, and they have an absolute lack of powerlessness, they have to create now a doctrine in order to support their position. And so we create a doctrine to simply justify the fact that miracles don't happen anymore. Why? Because we can't manifest them. Rather than accepting the fact that that's your issue, that's an issue on the human side, that's not an issue on God's side, just because, it's, just because the, the miracles aren't being manifested does not mean they're not there. 
Hello? They're there. The, the issue of manifesting them is our part. And that's where we want to advocate ourselves of all responsibility. We don't want any responsibility in that equation. The responsibility is ours. We are to manifest the kingdom. I tell people, I pray for people all the time. I pray for people who can't even move. And I tell them, listen, your healing is here. Just because I can't manifest it doesn't mean your healing isn't in the room. The problem isn't with Jesus' willingness. The problem isn't with, with your lack of faith. The problem is, is my inability to manifest this kingdom. And so what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to learn how to manifest the kingdom. And so are you. The disciples couldn't cast out a demon, remember? Now, if you remember that, right? Jesus walks up and goes, well, bam. And they go to him and they go, Lord, why couldn't we do what you did? Why, is they, why are they asking that? Because they were used to doing what he did. They asked him the question because they were doing everything he was doing. And they said, why couldn't we do that there? And he said, because of prayer and fasting. You don't understand the depth of the, there's, there's, there's gateways and dimensions into that realm. It just is. I said, I don't understand it because it's, just, it's, just not, an, it's not something that's intellectually understood. Sovereignists will tell you that everything is the will of God. This is the dominant doctrine in the United States today. The dominant doctrine within the church today is sovereignist doctrine. Sovereignist doctrine basically says God can, we're not saying he won't, but we're saying it's up to him if he's in a good mood today or not, if he's feeling like it today or not. That's the point. That doesn't line up with scripture because God's always in a good mood. Every single person that asked Jesus, are you willing? And he was asked multiple times. What did he say? I'm willing. Every single time. Are you willing? I'm willing. Lord, we need healing. You know what he said? What do you want me to do? He didn't go, well, I don't know about that. I don't know if I'm in the mood for that today. It doesn't line up with the scripture. And again, these are issues that we take as humans to mask our inabilities. Rather than acknowledging our weakness in these areas, which is, which is true humility, we're weak. Okay? Rather than acknowledging our weakness, we'll create doctrines to support our self-righteousness and still declare magnanimously. And we take all the responsibility and we throw it back up on God and we say God is sovereign. God is sovereign over all. I heard that doctrine many times. Listen, I've been taught this. I'm teaching you this because I've been taught it. Okay? I'm not teaching you this because I'm looking at it. I'm teaching you this because this is stuff that was taught to me. I used to argue with the sovereignists when I started doing it. I'm like, if God is sovereign over all, then why do you lock your doors at night? If, if, it's, if, it's God, if God is sovereign over all and everything is God's will and everything is God's purpose, don't lock your door. Hey, it was God's will that that criminal came in and robbed your house. Why do we put up guardrails? Well, to keep us from going across the lane. Well, maybe it's God's will that somebody drives across the lane and hits you head on. That's the extreme of sovereign mentality. But if you're going to accept the sovereign mentality, then you have to accept the totality of the sovereign mentality. That's what sovereignism teaches. It's not correct. It's, it's, it feels good. feels really good for me to go, well, it must not be God's will. feels really good for me to say, well, you know, he might, he will. We don't know. Jesus said if you ask anything, that's pretty, pretty clear. And you can look that up in the Greek, and I actually do Greek word studies all the time. And do you know what the word anything means? It means anything. That's what it means. It actually means anything. Anything means totality. If you ask me in totality of anything, I will do it. And whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified if you ask anything in my name. Where is he saying the responsibility lies? Is he saying the responsibility lies with me? Or is he saying the responsibility lies with him? He said he's willing. He said he'll do it. Our issue is we don't ask. 
Our issue is that we ask one or two times and we don't stop. Is this true, Hank, or not? I'm gonna, you, can, you can shout me down if it's not true. We had a guy over here. Hank brings him. We did prayer for him. Stayed after, ministered to him. All this other stuff. Guy's in a wheelchair, can't move, blah, blah, blah. That's not blah, 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 but that's I'm sum- <laughs> not that. I'm summarizing the story. And so I'm praying for him. Nothing's happening. Praying for him. Nothing's happening. I'm asking the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's kind of guiding me through the whole process, different things. He hangs right there. Praying for him. Nothing happens. And he's like, oh, it's all good. It's all good, you know, and all this stuff. And I tell him, like, no, that's not, that's not, this isn't all good. This isn't all good. That's the guy I told him. I said, look, your healing's here. I can't manifest it, but your healing's here, right? And I said, I have a rule that we don't stop until you do something you couldn't do. Jesus is going to break through in some way. I am going to, we're going to pray. Elijah prayed seven times. Read the story. No rain upon the earth. Prayed seven times. And what did he see? What would the cloud look like? Anybody know what the cloud looked like? No, what did it look like? It looked like the appearance of a, a hand. That's right. Elijah prayed until the hand of God broke through. Elijah prayed until the hand of that world came into ours. We pray until the hand of that world comes into ours. We take our responsibility and we take our position as the ones in authority. We don't cast it off on God and say it's his sovereignty. He's not willing. He doesn't want to do it. We can't do that. That's a false belief system. Our problem is, is we've not learned. Our problem is our ignorance. Oh, I can't do it. We don't like to think of ourselves as ignorant. I'll present myself as the, cap, as the president of the ignorant club. My name is Kevin and I know nothing. Jesus is the only idea, good idea I have. I don't present myself to the Lord as knowing anything. I present to myself to the Lord as knowing only what he's shown me and only what he is going to show me. And that's how you're ministered to. And that's, but what's, that's why we can't manifest kingdom power is because we're a bunch of, we think we know it all. We're all know-it-alls. We got it all figured out. One, two, three, four. Jesus never healed anybody the same way. Read it. Read, read the stories of the healing. There was no program. There was no, no uh, I'm going to walk you through the process and it's one, two, three, four. Not one time did he heal everybody the same way. He didn't. Sometimes he said a word. Sometimes he walked by. Sometimes he touched, people touched him. Other times he spit in somebody's face. He didn't do it the same way. So it's not really a program. It's an issue of discernment. It's an issue of understanding. It's an issue of relationship. So we have the sovereignness. That's the dominant view. We have continuationists. Continuationists believe that miracles are continuing. They believe that all of the gospel and that the anointing that Jesus came to bring, and he died to bring you the anointing. He died not just to save you. Okay, I'm not diminishing salvation. It's first and foremost. He died to save you, but he died to give you the Holy Spirit. And what's the Holy Spirit? The anointing. He died to give you the kingdom power. It's to your benefit that I go. He died in order to do this, to give you the power of the kingdom. That's the point. Continuationists believe that miracles are continuing. The problem with continuationists is while they hold those beliefs, they don't see anything. Okay? I was part of a movement that was half sovereignist and half continuationist. So half the group that I was with at the time were sovereignists. If he wants to, if he feels like it, if he's going to, it's all up to him. And then we had the other group that were continuationists. Neither time did I ever see any miracles manifested. And you know why? Because the sovereignists had a perspective that wouldn't allow it to happen. And the continuationists never prayed for anybody. Ever. Ever. So how are you going to see a miracle if you don't pray for people? Right? 
How are you going to see a miracle if you don't believe God at his promise? Not just healing. Let's talk about financial breakthrough. Let's talk about marital relationships. Let's talk about destiny. Let's talk about purpose. Pick anyone. That's all miracle power given to you to walk through what other people sink in. Jesus, Peter walked on the water. He walked through what other people sank in. He overcame miracle power. Let's talk about that. We are the people of destiny and purpose and life and all of these things. We're, that's what we are. So we have continuationists that believe the miracles continue but rarely see it. Then we have another group called experientialists. They believe that the miracles continue and they're willing to take the sacrifices to make sure that they do. They're willing to press in. I was talking to a friend of mine. We talk about healing all the time because my friend goes out and just prays for people on the street. And, you know, and I, I tell him, like, he's asking me, like, what are you learning? And I said, you know what I learned? That the Holy Spirit teaches me things when I'm praying for people. Rarely do I sit down and go, Lord, how do we break through for MLS? And I'm sitting down and I'm having this meditative experience with the Lord and going, Lord, what does it look like to heal that neurological disease? What does it look like? How do we get there? Rarely do I get that revelation on that. But when I'm praying for someone and I'm actually applying the principles of the kingdom, all of a sudden revelation is being made known to me. And the Holy Spirit is giving me insight and understanding into what's happening. Oh, yeah, by the way, with the, the guy with the chair, he started moving his left leg, right? Couldn't move his left leg, am I correct? Couldn't move his left leg at all. Could stand, but he couldn't walk because he couldn't move his left leg. He was moving his left leg. You say, he didn't walk, Kevin. He moved his left leg, okay? He couldn't do it before. He did it. He did it. And he was mad. I couldn't figure out what was going on because he's really upset. And I'm like, you're moving your leg. And Hank's like, you couldn't do that before. You moved your leg. You're moving your left leg. I'm like, he's like, yeah. But he wanted to bend it. And so he was mad, not because he was moving his left leg. He was mad because he couldn't bend it. He's like, yeah, but I want to bend it. And what's the point? The point is we break through. I told him, I'm like, look, I'm not, I'm going to stay. I told him I got all night. And we can, you know, give you a pillow and prop you up. But we're going to see something happen. I, because I know why. I know Jesus always does something. That's what I know. And we're going to break through. We're going to take the horn off this thing one way or another. And we're going to start breaking through. Okay, so now we, can get, now we can get people to move their left leg. Okay, if Jesus gives you something, he doesn't take it back. Okay, he doesn't take it back. Gifts and callings are without repentance. If he gives you the territory, he doesn't take it back. So now we're going to build on that. It's another story. Experientialists not only believe that the miracles and the power and the anointing and the purposes of God are here today, not just for healing, not just for salvation, not just for purpose and wisdom and destiny and hope and all of the callings and all of the purposes of God are in the anointing. Everything is there. But they're willing to do the things that are necessary in order to bring them apart, bring them. In order to encounter God, you have to experience God. In order to experience God, you actually got to do something. I was convicted of this. You guys have heard my story and I'm big on healing. And why is it healing? Because I want to see healing. I want to see the glory of God. I, you know, so it's a, it's a bit of an obsession for me. <laughs> Some of you, you're into all these other things. Spiritually, I talk to spiritual people. Not me. I, me, me, it's healing. It, it's like, why? Because I want to see the glory of God. I want to see his kingdom. I want to see the dead raised. I want to see the lame walk. I want to see the blind see. I want to see the deaf hear. I want to see the, the dumb speak. But it ain't going to happen if you don't pray for them. God convicted me. Talked to him. I tell you the story. I hear the story of my friend. He prays for people a lot. 200 people a week. Can you imagine? 200 people a week he prays for healing for. All right? And it's not just this. It's this and this. And he's taking his time and he's doing ministry and he's, you know, searching and following how the Lord would lead that to happen. And he sees these crazy miracles. And he doesn't see the crazy miracle once. He breaks through and he sees it continually. 
And I would complain and I'd be, come on, Lord, seriously? You mean to tell me that happened? And I would complain. And Jesus would go, do you pray for 200 people a week, Kevin? And I'd go, no, I haven't prayed for 200 people a week in 10, I haven't prayed for 200 people in 10 years for healing. And it convicted me. And it showed me that I'm complaining against something and I'm standing in a position of disbelief, yet I myself will not even apply the principle. This is what we do as Christians. Well, I don't believe those miracles are true. Have you prayed for 200 people? Have you? Just asking. That was my problem. And I said, I put my hand over my mouth. I know nothing. And I said, I'm going to start praying for people. And we start praying for people and we start seeing miracles. We start seeing God do something. Wow, lo and behold, you know, just a thought. So we have that. Let me say this with you, and I'm going to let you marinate. Let's just say it together. Satan, Satan. is not anti-Jesus. Anti Somebody's like, that's blasphemy. I'm walking out of the room right now. What is he? Anybody know the answer? He's anti-what? He's anti-what? He's anti-what? He's not anti-Jesus. He's not anti-feed the homeless, and there's nothing wrong with the things I'm saying. Those are all ministry aspects. I'm not taking away. So if you feed the homeless, I'm not saying, oh, there's something wrong with that. There's, that's fine. We're actually called to do that. But he's not, he's not against setting up orphanages. He's not against all kinds of social and welfare programs. Satan is not against that at all. What is he against? He's against power. He's anti-Christ. He's against the manifestation of power. He's against the manifestation of the anointing. You're on this. There we go. Jesus was anointed, what? As prophet, priest, and king. What does that mean? As a prophet, he has the anointing. He is empowered to bring the voice of his world into ours. As a priest, he's, em he's empowered to bring the relationship of his world into ours. That's what a priest did. Mediated the divine. Stood between two worlds and made them one. Jesus is the priest. He's our high priest. He brings the two worlds together as one. He's anointed as prophet to speak that world into ours. He's anointed as priest to bring that world into ours. And he's empowered as king to bring the authority of that world into ours. That's the anointing that Jesus carried. He's anointed as prophet, priest, and king. And who are we? I'm glad you asked. Revelation 1.6. To him who loved us and has washed us. It's all past tense. In his own blood. And he has made us what? You may read that. Kings. And priests unto our God. To him be glory and dominion forever. What is our role? Kings and priests. And then we want to go to Corinthians and we're also prophets. If we want to go down that road. So everything that Jesus did, he brought to the world. And now he's imparted that same rulership to us. So we are both kings. So what is the anointing for? To bring the authority of that world into ours. What is the anointing for? To bring the relationship of that world into ours. Oh, my God, I feel the spirit. I'm not saying this, man. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Woo. Man. Wow. And what is that world for? What is it for? To bring the voice of that world into ours. This is who we are. This is who you are, Christian. This is who you are. Don't let anybody tell you you're anything other. You are a Christite. You are a person of the anointing. You are a purpose of their person of purpose and power. You're not an icon of a religious figure of Mr. Rogers where we're all going to wear sweaters and just be really nice people. You're armed and dangerous to bring the kingdom to the world, the voice of that world, the relationship of that world, the authority of that world, and whatever it looks like. Does it look like love? Absolutely. Does it look like kindness? Absolutely. Does it look like mercy? Absolutely. 
But this is the power of the anointing. This is the purpose of the Holy Spirit on our lives. And you can't do this in the flesh. Here's Jesus right here, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He tells us why the anointing is there. Why? He's anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. Okay? In case you're wondering, that word afflicted, this is Hebrew, same word for illness. So what is he saying? He's anointed me to bring good news to people who are sick. And what we want to do, and here's what we do in the church, because we just have a problem with this stuff, so we got to make it nice and clean so that we can understand it with our mind. And so we'll say, he's talking about sin sickness. No, he's not talking about sin sickness. He's talking about physical sickness. To bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. What is that? That's the ministry of restoration. So we have the ministry of healing. We have the ministry of restoration. To bring liberty to the captives. There we have salvation. To bring freedom to the prisoners. There we have deliverance. And to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. That's grace. So we see the ministry of all of these things. The healing of the sick. The binding up of the restoration of people's lives. The proclamation of, of freedom or salvation. And we see the opening of doors to the prisoners. Those that are bound. Bound with what? With addictions. False beliefs. Traumas. Hurts. Pains. Deliverance. Demonic oppression. And to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. What is that? There's your prophecy. There's your good news. There's your grace. And so you know, if a prophecy isn't good news, it's not prophecy according to the Bible. Matthew 12, next slide. We're Christites. Therefore I say to you, every sin and every blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Ouch! Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the anointing will not be forgiven in this age or in the age to come. What is it saying? Well, it's telling us two things. Talking about this idea of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Yes, first and foremost, the Holy Spirit ministers grace to the heart of the person when they reject the grace off the heart of the Spirit, of this grace that God is imparting to them. When you're hearing the gospel or hearing your need for salvation, the Holy Spirit will literally open your heart and show you that you're the person in need. When you push that away, that means to profane Him. That means to blaspheme Him. That means to diminish the work of grace that He is doing upon your heart. But it also means to call the work of the Spirit the work of the devil. And so as Christians, particularly there's groups of Christians that run around and they want to call all the works of the Spirit works of the devil. That's a very dangerous thing to do and that's a very loose thing to do because that's actually the context in which Jesus is answering them. He had just healed someone and just cast out a devil and the response to him was, you're doing this by the power of the devil. This isn't God, this is Satan. And that's when Jesus gave them this little answer. So are you trying to say that every manifestation in spiritual circles or in charismatic circles is of the Holy Spirit? Is that what you're trying to say, Kevin? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'll, 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 I'd say the majority of it is, but I say a lot of it is flesh. A lot of it is, is, is people manifesting their own issues. A lot of it is the Spirit encountering them. Sometimes there's oppression, and when the Spirit encounters them, and then people manifest things in, in wrong ways, sometimes people, uh, they have the Holy Spirit on them, and they don't know how, they have not, their, the, the gift, their maturity does not match the gift set. And so we have people that have, have an anointing on their life, yet they're immature, and so they have the gift set, and they have their maturity. And so they're using their gift set in an immature way. They speak things, and they think they're your prophet, so they want to come to you and give you a prophetic word, but they don't understand what prophecy actually is. And so they're, they're speaking with an anointing of a prophetic voice, but they don't have maturity enough to understand what it is they're actually doing. And we could go down the list. 
So oftentimes, people, when they have the Holy Spirit, just because someone says and says, I have a word from God for you, does not mean that that's the word from God. There may be, they may be sensing something, but they're processing it through their own immaturity. When you give a word of the Lord, when you give a prophetic word, you have to run it through a grid, and you have to run it through a process, and you have to make sure that what you're about to say matches with how God would have you to say it. You have to run it through a filter. And so what happens a lot of times is people have immaturity, they have an anointing or they have a power upon their life. You have pastors doing it all the time. Pastors teach things and it's powerful and it comes across, but there's an immaturity with which they're teaching and they've not run it through the grid. God's in a good mood. Anybody who sits there and tells you God's angry, they're, they're telling you something wrong. That's not what the Bible says. He's always in a good mood. It's a dispensation of grace. We are under grace, period. I don't like that. I don't know what to tell you. We're under grace. Jesus is in a good mood. He said, leave the bad until the time of the harvest. I'll deal with it then. It's a dispensation of grace. And so when we teach things, they're out of contrast. And you say, well, it just feels there's just power in what they're saying. Yeah, that's the anointing. But what they're saying is without maturity. Just saying. So are you saying every manifestation is of the Holy Spirit? No, that's not what I'm saying. Do miracles testify of doctrine? So we have this other question where people get prayed for by someone and this person, there's something that happens, whatever it may be. Somebody gives you a word like, man, I just, you know, I received a word from this guy and from the Lord and it was just right on the money. And I just like, that was just crazy. But he teaches all this weird stuff. So do miracles testify of doctrine? No, miracles do not testify of doctrine. Miracles testify of the gospel. You understand? The idea of miracles, a healing, is not meant to testify that the person that's teaching it is teaching correctly. The miracle testifies that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Miracles do not testify of doctrine. They testify of the gospel. Just another thought for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Are miracles for today? Yes, absolutely. Without question, 1,000% of the time, miracles are today. Why don't we see more miracles? A, we don't pray. B, we have an issue of belief. Somebody says, is our miracles an issue of faith? The answer to that is no. There's, there's a combination of things that are involved oftentimes. There's a whole combination of things. When it comes to the issue of faith, it's not an issue of faith, it's an issue of unbelief. Unbelief and faith are two different things. Two completely different things. Unbelief is an unwillingness to receive. That's unbelief. And so I've prayed for many people and they, 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 they say, oh yeah, God can do it. They have faith in God, but they just don't believe it's for them. Well, what's the problem? There's not a receptivity on their part. Now, does that mean that that's the case 100% of the time? No, that's not the case 100% of the time. What I've learned from praying for people is there's a lot of factors going on in here. You know, sometimes the person isn't receptive. Sometimes I don't know, and, and I'm, I'm going to use myself, sometimes I don't know what I'm doing. And that's okay. But, because, but I'm trying, right? And so the idea is, and so should you, the idea here is, is that miracles are not an issue of faith. And when it's relating to that, it's relating to unbelief. It says Jesus could not do many miracles there in Nazareth because of their unbelief. It doesn't say because of their faith. They didn't believe. In other words, they were not receptive to his ministry. They were not receptive to it. And it looks like this. You ever try to talk to somebody and you're trying to get a point across and that person is just, just not, you know, they're listening to you, but they're not really hearing you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? All the wives said, yeah, my husband every single day of my life. <laughs> Are you hearing me? 
Yeah, I'm listening to you. You know, and it's an issue of listening, but you're not really receiving what you're being said. So it's an issue. That's why we, get, we, we do a lot of receptivity stuff here to get you to learn to receive because that's a very hard thing. It's not an issue of faith. It's an issue of unbelief. And that's not an issue 100% of the time. Am I making sense here? Yeah? Okay, I'm trying to be clear without being like, it's only this, it's only that. There's a whole myriad of things going on. And okay, I'm going to finish up. Jesus is perfect theology. What does that mean? Everything you, know, you need to know about God is found in the personhood of Jesus Christ. And if it's not found in the personhood of Jesus Christ, it is not a doctrine to be taught of God. How many storms did Jesus bless? How many? Zero. How many times did Jesus bless the storm and say, now you go over here to Tyre and Sidon and destroy that city to humble them so that they can learn how to be? How many times did Jesus curse someone with leprosy? How many times did Jesus curse a paralytic? How many times did he do any of that? How many times did he deny a person healing when they came to him? How many times? So if that's true, then we have to accept the truth. You say, well, that's not my experience. Then you pursue truth until truth becomes your experience. That's the rule. Jesus is perfect doctrine. He's perfect theology. If we accept anything apart from that, then we're accepting something wrong. It says he's the express image of the Father. He's the exact representation of the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is perfect theology. He ruined every funeral he ever encountered. Jesus was not a guy to invite to your funeral if you wanted to have a funeral. Every funeral he encountered, he ruined it, including his own. He ruined his own funeral, right? You guys read your Bible, right? That's right. Anyway. Jesus is good all the time. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is good all the time. You know that Jesus, Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth, okay, here we go, he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing bad things. Is that what it said? And he went about doing wrong things, and he went about cursing people and telling how mad he was at people. Is that what it says? He went about doing what? You read it? Good. And healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So this is the understanding. Jesus is perfect theology. Jesus is good all the time. Jesus is the anointed. He is the empowered one. And here's the last one. We are the continuation of this anointing in this world. You and I are the continuation of that anointing. We are the what? what are we? We're the body of who? Right. Are we the body of Jesus? Again, we, we can't get away from that word. We are the body of the anointed one. We're the hands and the feet of the anointed one. That's what we are. Jesus said to him, peace be with you as the Father sends me, so I'm sending you. So okay, Acts tells us right here, he was anointed with power to go about doing good and healing those who were oppressed of the devil. That's how the Father sent him. And then he tells us right here in John 20, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So the same missional mandate that I have is the same one I'm giving to you. You see the idea? This is stuff we gotta get our mind around. This is stuff as a Christian we have to accept as our identity and th this is who we are. This is why Christianity isn't alive because a lot of people don't understand who they are. They don't understand who God has created them to be and they don't understand what the calling is upon their own lives. It says these signs will accompany those who will believe, cast out demons, speak with new tongues, pick up servants. If they drink poison, they won't hurt them. They have hands on the sick and they will recover. So we're a continuation of this anointing. You say, if that is true, next slide, last slide. If that is true, then we need to understand if, if we are the continuation of the call of God, if we are the continuation of the kingdom coming to this world, if that is true, then we need to understand who Christ is. We need to understand that. Not Jesus, not just Jesus. It's all about Jesus, let me be clear. But not just Jesus the religious, but Jesus the Christ. And then we're to understand our role. We're to understand who we are. This isn't an option. We're to understand who we are, so we have to press into that. And so here's the deal. 
Hey, you get an opportunity. Here's your great opportunity, the most powerful opportunity. I'm going to give you an opportunity right now. Email any questions you have about Jesus, about miracles, and about spiritual gifts. You can email them to me, okay? And I will do my best to answer them in the next coming weeks, right? If it fits into the teaching, I'm going to slide it right in. If it doesn't, then I'll find a way to answer it. So you have an opportunity to ask questions related to some of the stuff that I say. You have an opportunity to ask questions related to some of the stuff about Jesus and about anything. So if you have questions about Jesus, if you have questions about miracles, if you have questions about spiritual gifts or anything like that, email them, right? Speak now or forever hold your peace. And in fact, you can email them right now if you want, you know, via the digital world. But if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, today is your day. Today is your day. Man, my watch has stopped. What is wrong with my watch? No wonder I'm long-winded. I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, oh, I got time. Oh, I got time. <laughs> and I'm way over. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, today's your day. We're going to close with a prayer. We're going to close with two prayers. And then we're going to dismiss. So if you've never given your life to Jesus, all I ask you to do today is just simply open your heart and pray along with us and commit your heart to the one who loves you, the one who died for you, the one who asked so much for you. The church is going to pray with you and pray with me as we pray with you. So let's just pray this out together. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I may not understand it, but I choose to believe it. And I open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life all that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. And let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. And may the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace in Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. And that's enough. Have a great week. All right.